you up there. Amen. So we got, got a group here, singers, going to sing for us this morning. And they've drafted one there to sing with them, and that's good. <laughs> Glad you're in there. God bless you. So we've definitely been blessed in this church, and I can't express how how much our, our family's been blessed and the families in this church have been blessed. And, and we just know that God is with us. God is, you know, he's, he's definitely, we're definitely sheltered in, in his arms. I mean, can't express how, you know, we've been through some trials. This church family's went through trials. But we know that he's with us always. And that's, that's just uh, something I need, we need always to be reminded of. Shall harm me for 
with me and not other shall harm me for I'm sheltered in the arms of God I'm sheltered in the arms of God. Sheltered in his arms, aren't you glad for that? And you can talk to him anytime. I must tell Jesus. Must we not? I must tell him. Hallelujah. Because he, he knows. But oh, to talk to him. Like, like these we're doing here this morning. To talk to him. I think, I don't know what page that is. But in your hymn book, I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. Let's sing a verse of this together, will you? 113. Thank you, Miss Sandra. 113. You see, I'm sheltered in his arms. But it's so good to talk to him, to tell him today. Why don't we why don't we stand together, sing a verse of this good hymn? I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot
Hallelujah, hallelujah. You can be seated. Pastor Josh is coming to speak to our hearts today and, and reminding us of revival and refreshing. And he'll be opening the Word of God. I believe he was telling me to Acts chapter number 2. Sister Sharon giving us a beautiful thank you card to the church family for the prayers and all the support and and uh, phone calls and during her sickness. She's back with us today, praise the Lord. And Roy, she thanked the Lord for you, of all things. Amen. Yeah, I, I thought that was poor. Her heart's really been touched through this. But <laughs> And she thanked God for our our new parish nurse, our church nurse, Miss Wanda, which is such a blessing. As I mentioned last Sunday, she has... She has a, a personal relationship and not only that, personal touch with Ballad because Ballad is, is working in this with us as our church nurse and so she can make contacts for you and she's helped so many already even though it's a brand new ministry for us here at the church. But what a wonderful ministry to have a parish nurse right here in Miss Wanda, well qualified nurse practitioner and years of practice I'm not going to say how many years. She looks too young to have all those years. But anyway, I'm a doctor, but she still won't let me write prescriptions, she says. But, okay, come on, Josh, preach to us since I can't write prescriptions anyway. We will be in Acts chapter number 2 today. And Acts chapter 2, at the end of this chapter, we see a beautiful picture of what the first church was truly like, and we get a glimpse into the life of this church, and uh, sometimes we romanticize the first church and we set it up on a pedestal, but what I want us to see today is that every church can be like that first church. What was the hallmark of this church was uh, their relationship with Jesus Christ, and that relationship with Jesus fueled and fed every other dimension of their life and of their uh, existence. We are starting our Jubilee next Sunday, and we're thinking about revival and recommitment and these kinds of spiritual words, and that's one of the main purposes of Jubilee is to give a time of refreshing. If you study the term Jubilee in Scripture, it's a Bible term. There's the year of Jubilee, which was every 50 years. The Israelites were commanded by God to let the land lay dormant. In other words, don't plant any crops at all during that year of Jubilee to give the land opportunity to rest and the nutrients to regain into the soil, not to overwork the soil. There's some practical things that science has taught us in recent years for having that year of Jubilee. It was a year of refreshing, a year of revitalization. And that was what was intended in that year of Jubilee. And that's why we call it a Jubilee meeting because we want it to be refreshing and spiritually invigorating and life-giving. And uh, we're talking about these things. We need to prepare our hearts for that. And so uh, we're looking at this church not to romanticize these people or what they accomplished, but simply to see what does a church look like when they're committed to Jesus Christ. The uh, core of this church was the disciples that followed Jesus and those close believers who walked with Jesus for those years of His ministry. They saw Him firsthand. They heard Him preach. They ate with Him. And they saw Him resurrected. And they go forth in that in the beginning part of chapter 2. 
Here's this group of about 120 believers, eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus Christ. They saw Him ascend, and Jesus told them, the Holy Spirit is coming, wait for Him. And they do just that. They follow Jesus, and they obey Him. They're gathered together, praying in one place together, about 120 of them. And the day of Pentecost comes, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them in a powerful way. They go out, Peter preaches a wonderful sermon here in Acts chapter 2, and as they preach the good news of Jesus Christ, there's 3,000 people who were saved that one day. Imagine a church going from about 120 to uh, over 3,000 in one single day. And they see here, and that's where we pick up at the end of this chapter, where we really want to focus today with our message Notice it says in verse 41, They that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread and in prayers. And so what I want us to notice as we read through this passage of Scripture, I'm just going to take it verse by verse and see some of the hallmarks of this first church and the commitment that they had to Jesus was what fueled all that we see in the next coming verses. Uh, the word that I used to mark down each of these things, it's a word that's used here in verse uh, 42, and they continued steadfastly. This idea of continuing. They were committed to Jesus. And that's where it all starts, is their commitment to Christ. That relationship with Him, walking by faith with Jesus. And as a worshipful response to who Jesus is, then that leads to what we do. In other words, I could come in here today and say, look at this church. Uh, We need to be more in the Word. We need to be more in prayer. We need to give more. We need to do more. We need to volunteer more. I could come at you with guilt and try to put you on a guilt trip and say, just do more for Jesus. Just come more to church. Just read your Bible more. Just pray more. And I could guilt you into doing those things. But guilt only goes so far, doesn't it? And when you're motivated by guilt, you'll feel bad and you'll do it for a little bit. Yeah, I need to be reading my Bible. It's like these New Year's commitments and uh, these goals that we set for ourselves. That Man, I feel bad. I, I need to start eating better and lose weight. And if you're doing it because you feel guilty for eating too much chocolate cake, and that's me, you know, chocoholic, I'll confess. You know, I love that chocolate. But... Uh, You know, I feel guilty about that. Man, I really need to lose weight. That's only going to motivate you so far and for so long. Eventually, that's going to wear off and you need to come back and you need to start feeling guilty again. But that's not this first church. It wasn't a church that was driven by guilt and saying, we just got to do more, pray more, read more. Uh, That was not the motivation. The motivation was love for Jesus. When they got their eyes on Jesus and they saw His grace and all the gifts that His grace gave them, they responded. You know, they saw the resurrected Christ with their own eyes. How could they be silent about the truth of Jesus Christ? And they went forth in what they knew was the truth and with the grace of God, not putting people on guilt trips, not putting themselves on a guilt trip, but focusing on the truth of who Jesus is. And then that flows into the commitments that they made. And so I want us to see these commitments that they made. And I want us to try to make them our own commitments 
as we go forward thinking about Jubilee, thinking about this new year, not in a guilt-based, but in a grace-based relationship. The first thing we see in verse 42 is that they continued steadfastly. And that's where we need to stop for just a second and say they were committed to continue on. And there's so much quitting in our world today. Uh, My generation and younger generations coming up just quit everything. And uh, there's even people who quit their families when their families disagree with them on social issues and everything else. Uh, They won't go home for Thanksgiving. They won't go home for Christmas. Uh, They say, I'm cutting my parents off because we disagree about this social issue or that social issue. And uh, they sort of divorce their parents. And things like that are coming in vogue in our generation today. But here we see a group of people that were committed to the Lord, number one. And notice this. They were steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Committed to the Word of God. The correct teaching of God's Word. And we need God's Word. And we've got to have it. That's our spiritual nutrition. You know, you can't go very long without food. You can't go very long without drinking water. And we've got to have that. And and the same thing is true for us spiritually. We've got to have God's Word. They were committed to the Word. They were committed to the truth. Not because, well, it's that time again. I'm supposed to be reading my Bible. I don't know, some of you may have the Bible app. Um, and uh, the Version Bible app, and it'll send you a daily reminder, you know, you need to open up this app and connect with God's Word today, and you, it, it tracks your streaks how many days in a row, and if you miss a day, you start back over on the counter. It's like, oh man, I feel so guilty I didn't open this app today. You can connect with God's Word. It doesn't have to be in that one app, although that's a good one. There's many, many others. I think I've got four or five different Bible apps on my phone. And they all do different things. That's why I got them all uh, different ones for different occasions and different applications. So uh, there's different ways that you can connect with God's Word. It doesn't have to be through that one app. But uh, however you do, and, and I love just having an actual printed Bible. Just I, I enjoy having a book in my hands instead of reading something on a screen all the time. Uh, that's just a personal preference. It's not one thing or another. But... The main thing is, are we committed to the Word? Again, not by guilt. Oh man, I have to. It's sending me a notification. If I don't do it, God's not going to like me anymore. No. It's a commitment to loving Jesus and loving His truth. Uh, loving this truth that Jesus is the Lord. That Jesus is God. That He really did rise from the dead. And they went out preaching this message. They were committed to the Word because Jesus is the living Word. Not only that, it says they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. Now, if you study the language out, the wording here is that the fellowship is defined by the rest of the verse. What was this fellowship? It wasn't just the Baptist version of fellowship where we say we have a fellowship hall and that means a place where tables and chairs are set up to get a bunch of good food. And food is involved, and that is a holy thing, I think, you know, and we see that here in this passage. Uh, what is fellowship? The breaking of bread and in prayer. So, hey, all the way back to this first church, us Baptists, you know, we got it right. They had food right there in the heart of things. If you want to be right with God, you've got to have food. Say amen. No, <laughs> that's not the message of this passage. That's not the message of this passage. But notice that they did. Uh, had fellowship, this common unity together. And it was displayed in the breaking of bread 
That did mean a meal that they shared together, but they also did the Lord's Supper together. And we're going to be observing that uh, later on in our service today, uh, in breaking of bread and in prayers. It wasn't just praying by themselves, but it was praying with each other, praying for each other. They were having prayer meetings back in those days. And from house to house, meeting together, praying together, worshiping together, loving God together. They were committed to the Word. They were committed to fellowship, breaking bread, praying together. All because of Jesus. Why did they observe the Lord's Supper? Was it just something that they could do? No, it's because it came straight from Jesus Himself. Again, it's a reflection of all that Jesus has done on our communion table. It's inscribed, This do in remembrance of Me. They wanted to keep their focus on Jesus. And as you read through the rest of the New Testament, when you get into uh, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, just for instance, they got their eyes off of Jesus. And this feast that was supposed to be for love became a divisive thing. And it became a drunken party for some. It became a thing where the rich people were sitting over here and the poor people were neglected and sitting way over there somewhere else and totally forgotten about. It was... Uh, becoming a divisive thing instead of a uniting thing. And so this was all flowing from their relationship with Jesus, the breaking of bread and praying together. In verse 43, And fear came upon every soul, a sense of awe, a sense of fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. And you see that this commitment was uh, authenticated by the Holy Spirit that these folks are doing uh, what I have want them to do. And in verse 44, it says, And all that believed were together and had all things in common. This word together just tells us that they were committed to each other. And these are simple truths that I'm sharing with you today. But it's things that we can slide away from if we're not careful. And we can slack off from if we're not careful. They were committed to each other. All because of Jesus. Now, Unity is good, but unity by itself is not always good. Uh, this word of together is also used a couple chapters later when it says the Jews came together to stone Stephen. You know, they were united. They were joined together against Jesus and against Stephen to stone him and to kill him. Is that good unity? No, of course not. So unity by itself is not always a good thing. We can be united against the wrong person or in the wrong way. And we hear so much about unity in our world today, coming together as one. But we will only have unity if it's for the right thing and in the right purpose. And that's got to be centered around Jesus Christ Himself. That's where unity has to come in. As it says in verse 44, "...all that believed were together, and had all things common. And they sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need." Now some look at this verse and they see it as a basis for saying, well, you see, the early church was just a bunch of communists. Uh, they were uh, selling all their stuff and having it all together. They were socialists and communists. No, that's not what it says. This was not forced upon the people. It said that as there was a need, they recognized that. And some people would even go so far as to sell personal property to give that money to others when they noticed that there was a need. It was not forced. They didn't come in and say, now, you've got to sell your property if you want to be part of this church. And 
we're going to examine your bank statements and make sure that you're giving exactly what you're supposed to be giving to this church. And we want to examine everything like the government does with their taxes and make sure that we're giving the IRS every single penny that we're supposed to be giving them. And that's not the picture and the, the pattern for the local church. And we see here that it was simply noticing a need and responding to it in any way. They were committed to each other and that led them to be committed to generosity for each other. All because Jesus had been so generous to them. You see, there's guilt-based giving and there's grace-based giving. And it's two totally separate motivations. I could come in here and guilt you into giving uh, X percent of your money into the offering plate and, and doing it. And if you don't do it, you're not right with God. I'm putting you on a guilt trip and you're going to do it just so that you can appease God or so you can appease the preacher or so you can appease uh, your own conscience. But grace-based giving is saying, all because of what Jesus has given to me and He has given me so much that I, in response to gazing upon Jesus and considering all that He is and all that He has done for me, I want to give to further His good news. I want to give to help the needs that I see around me in my own community or needs in my church family. And by the way, in order to know about a need, you have to know the person that has the need in order to meet that. So uh, this idea of just coming to a place and sitting there for an hour or two and then turning around and going home and not really knowing anybody, not really connecting with each other, that's totally foreign to this first church. And that's totally foreign to uh, what Jesus designed for the church to be. Say a little bit more about that later on. But they recognized the needs. They knew the people. They knew the need. And they did what they could to help to meet that need. They were committed to generosity because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And I think when you're giving out a grace in response to all that Jesus has done for you, and you will give extravagantly. You won't hold back because you realize that Jesus gave the very best that He had for me. And as I worship Him, I want to give Him my very best. The best of my time, the best of my energy, the best of my thoughts, the best of my resources, all for Him and following Him by faith. In verse 46, notice as we go on in this passage, "...and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart." Uh, They were committed not just to each other, not just uh, to generosity, not just to God's Word, not just to prayer, not just to fellowship, but they were committed daily. Again, it wasn't just a a a once-a-week thing that they were committed to, but this was something that they were committed to every single day, all because of Jesus. Jesus had invested three and a half years of His life into people like Peter and James and John and the twelve that are here and the women and others that were part of this core group of believers. And Jesus had poured His life into them, and they are taking that and responding out of worship and pouring their life into other people and spreading the good news of Jesus as far as they could. Again, it's a worshipful response. They didn't just say, oh man, it's 5 o'clock, I guess we better head down there again. It's 11 o'clock, it's time to get going towards the temple today. No, it was a thing that they did out of joy and out of 
a worship for who Jesus was, all because of Jesus. Notice what they were doing. We read the verse. Let's point it out and break it down here in verse 46. They were continuing, continuing excuse me, daily with one accord in the temple. What is this temple complex? That's the place where the Jews would gather every day for worship. And so that was their witnessing opportunity. They went to where the crowds were and they began to share the good news of Jesus wherever the crowds of people were. Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 in that kind of a setting, in that kind of location. And they would go and try to engage people about Jesus Christ and sharing their faith. They were committed to witnessing and sharing their faith daily in the temple. And then it says, in breaking bread from house to house. And so they had this daily fellowship in their homes. Getting back to that verse that we read earlier in verse 42, this breaking of bread. And they did eat their meat. They ate their food with gladness and singleness of heart. Those two words, I love to do word studies in God's Word. And I love to dig in to see, you know, what does this really mean? Gladness and singleness of heart. I don't think I've ever described myself as being somebody, you know, I'm single of heart. I've never told Amanda, I think we have a single heart. You know, that's not language that we use today. So what does these terms mean? Uh, How did they look? What was this attitude that this early church had in their fellowship and in their life together? Again, daily in each other's homes with gladness. That gladness is extreme joy is really what that phrase means. And so they're laughing, they're having a great time, they're enjoying each other. And back in those days, they didn't live 10 miles from each other and nobody else was around and they didn't set up their own little compound and live and stay in that. There were neighbors around them, they didn't have all the windows and everything that we've got today. And you lived and you shopped and you worked and everything was in that community that you lived in. And so naturally, all the people around you are going to be hearing some of the things that's going on in your house. And I thank God sometimes that we got doors and windows because people will be hearing my kids screaming at each other and me screaming at them. But uh, uh, we, we, you know, sometimes that happens even in the pastor's home. And that may shock you. I, I doubt it. But if you, you've been around us for any time, you know. But uh, we see that other people would hear this. I mean, these people just enjoying being around each other and extreme joy. Uh, laughing and cutting up and having a great time together, praising the Lord, worshiping Him. And they're remembering Jesus and all this. It wasn't just, hey, come over, we're watching the game and eating chicken wings. No, they were enjoying worshiping Jesus together. Uh, They would have the Lord's Supper from house to house and enjoy worshiping Jesus, a Christ-centered, joyful experience. And that can be our experience. If that sounds totally foreign to your relationship to church, you need to look inside your own heart and search your heart and to search, Lord, how am I interacting with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Could we classify that as extreme joy? And I love to see some of the men and others, and we love to cut up and have a good time you know, before church and after church and just hearing the laughing going on when we have times of fellowship and And I know that our church family enjoys being together and enjoys doing life with each other. And I pray that that spirit just continues on and on and on for generations to come. And that God would bring us that gladness and that extreme 
joy that they experienced in their worship together with Jesus. Not only that singleness of heart. And this is a very interesting term. And I had to scratch my head for a little bit when I found uh, this word, singleness, translated here, is only used one time in the New Testament. There's several words like that throughout our Bible. Uh, but the word literally means free from stones. In other words, it's the opposite of stony ground. And so what does it mean to have a heart that's free of stony ground? It's simply this, I believe, that they wanted their hearts to be right with God uh, above all else. It was a desire that they had to be right with God. That there would be nothing uh, impeding the soil of their heart. They wanted a healthy soil, in other words, as Jesus talked about the four different kinds of soil. The stony ground was one that He mentioned, where problems of this world creep in and distract us and cause us to get distracted from off of Jesus. They wanted to have hearts that were free from stones, singleness of heart. They wanted to be right with God in every part of their life. This describes the fellowship that they enjoyed. Again, it wasn't just chicken wings and football, but it was extreme joy and also pushing each other closer to Jesus in holiness and righteousness and living and doing everything together for the cause of Christ. They had that strong desire to be thoroughly right with God. And that's revival ground right there when God moves in and He creates that within us. And as I've said over and over and over again throughout the message today, it's a response to Jesus. I could, again, as I said at the very beginning, I could come in here and say, you need to get right with God. Uh, you need to be in the Word. You need to be more in prayer. You need to be giving more. You need to be together more. You need to be more in church and put you on a guilt trip. But you got to see and understand that all these things came out of their relationship with Jesus. And that's what sustained them. And that's what propelled them. And I believe that was the fuel in their gas tank that helped them to become the world-changing force that they became. I think that God can do so much with a small group of people like the twelve that He had because they had that commitment to Christ and they knew Him and they had that relationship with Him and God used them to change the world because their heart was right with Him and of their growing relationship with Him. In verse 47 it tells us that they were praising God. They were committed to to praising God, giving Him glory, giving Him praise, and having favor with all the people. Unbelievers took notice of what was going on. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. God saved souls on a regular, ongoing basis and kept adding to this church. And it was all because of what Jesus had done for them they responded in worship and living this life out in front of other people. And people became saved on a regular basis. My prayer is for our church to become more and more and more like Jesus Christ. And as a result, we'll become more and more and more like this pattern of this church that I believe we see in Acts chapter 2. And I know that's Jesus' heart for every single one of His churches. But it has to start with each one of us committing to Jesus. You may be here in person, you may be watching, and you've never given your heart to Jesus. You don't know if you're born again. You don't know that Jesus is your Savior. You can't be part of the church. You can't 
really belong to the church without first receiving Christ as your Savior. Because that's what church is all about. And that's where it all begins, is having that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And after that, we commit ourselves to Jesus. And each one of us has to look in our own souls and in the mirror at our own selves and see, have I drifted away in some area of my life? I think that how we treat church is often a reflection on how we view our relationship with Jesus. And I know the two aren't always identical, but Jesus loved the church so much, Ephesians tells us, that He gave Himself for it. He died for the church. He gave His life for the church. How we treat church is often a reflection of the strength of our relationship with Jesus. Uh, I read something the other day that said uh, something along these lines that if we just view church as a place to go, we'll go there and visit it You know, whenever we feel like it, whenever we uh, can squeeze it into our schedules. If we view church as an event, like I'm going to a concert uh, or I'm going to the store, you know, we treat church sometimes like we treat Food City and Walmart and these other grocery stores. And man, I, I've got to get to uh, there and get my groceries. I've got to get something to eat. I've got to have some good food in my belly. Uh, and now that we've got all these technology and everything else that we can order the food and, and, and pick up our groceries or somebody can bring them right to our house. And we say, praise God, I don't have to get out of the house. I don't have to get in a crowd of people. I don't have to be around all those people elbowing them and them sneezing on me and everything else. And some people treat church like that. It's like, I can avoid those crowds. I want to stay out of that place. I don't want to go anywhere. I can get spiritual nutrition while I'm in my boat or uh, on a mountaintop or something else. That's not the local church. And the church is a family. It's not an event. It's not just a place that you go to. It's not just uh, something that you put into your calendar but it's a family that you belong to. It's not just, you know, fit it in once a week or here and there when I can, but it's a life that you live committed to each other and loving in relationship with each other. And like it is in every single relationship, if we're not growing closer together, then we're drifting apart. I've had this happen in my friendships and some friendships I've had over the years. There was never any rift. There was never any argument. There was never any disagreement. Uh, we just had other priorities that came in. and I'm just too busy. Man, hey, let's get together sometime soon. Yeah, that sounds good. And then a month goes by and man, I never got in touch with them. I need to get back in touch with them. Then a year goes by and two years and five years and you look back and say, man, how long has it been since I talked to them? You look back and you see, well, we didn't have really any major disagreements. Uh, life just happened and, and things just happened. So and what I'm saying to you is that if we're not purposefully drawing closer to each other, drawing closer to Jesus, it works in our relationship with Him the same way as it does with other people, then naturally we're going to be drifting, drifting further and further away from each other. And that happens in our relationship with Jesus. So this early church was committed to Jesus, first and foremost, above everything else, committed to each other. They wanted to be sure those relationships stayed right with each other. And we need to do that as well as a church. 
keeping a right relationship with Jesus, keeping a right relationship with each other. Not letting Satan cause division, not letting him pick us apart and pull us apart from each other. As with any family, there's going to be disagreements. There's going to be people with different opinions. But that doesn't mean you're no longer family. Or that my kids are no longer my kids because they disagree with me about this or that or whatever else it may be. We are still family. We still love each other. We still forgive each other. We still are together with each other. We try to forgive each other and walk with each other. And I try to teach my kids, hey, forgive each other, love each other. And Jesus does the same thing to us as His church. You know, so often we get away from these simple truths because we allow the devil to come in and we allow anger and resentment and jealousy and envy and gossip and slander and all these things uh, to drive a wedge in our relationship with each other. And Satan wants to see nothing more than the church divided, than the church trying to fight each other and tear each other down. But friends, we got to build each other up. That's what the Bible tells us in the New Testament. Build each other up in your most holy faith. And help each other, love each other, support each other. Build each other up. Push each other closer and closer and closer to Jesus. And we've got to grow closer to Jesus. Let me just close with this and as a way of application. I just encourage you, pick a gospel. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You know, maybe you've got a favorite one. If you don't have a favorite one, just uh, I'd suggest starting the Gospel of John. And just try to read one chapter a day. Write down, you know, who do I see Jesus is in this passage? What do I see Jesus doing in this passage? And what is something that I can praise Jesus for in this passage? And maybe you want to have a journal. Maybe you want to put it in your phone. Maybe you want to type it out on the computer. Whatever works for you, you find what works for you. And, and the point is just trying to get things in front of you that you can help your relationship with Jesus and that you can make sure your mind is staying on Him and that you can go forward with Him. And just go through a chapter a day and write down things that you see, man, this tells me who Jesus is. For instance, if you picked John chapter number 1 and you just are reading through the Gospel of John, maybe you get stuck on, you know, man, I've just read two or three verses and I'm overwhelmed with who Jesus is and what He's done for me. And you come to John 3.16 like it's on the very front of our bullets and cover this morning. And you say, man, I just want to park in John 3.16 for two or three days and meditate on that. Hey, that's good. That's wonderful. I think sometimes we get really stuck in a rut with our Bible study and routines. Oh, I've got to read this many numbers of chapters a day. If I don't read through my Bible in a year, God won't like me. There's nothing like that in the New Testament at all. If you just read and digest one verse a day, and you meditate on that, and you understand it, and you're just thinking about it throughout your day, that's of far more value than just waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning and you're trying to read three chapters in the Gospel of John and you're like, <laughs> you know, your head's hitting the Bible. Like, John 3, what? what? Where was I? You know, and, and half asleep. And uh, If our mind is engaged and we're really gleaning out of one verse, I think that's of a lot more value and then trying to just read three chapters and check off a to-do list. Oh, I'm right with God. I read those three chapters even though I was half asleep and I don't remember a single thing that I read. Uh, but I did that. I know I accomplished that today. No. 
But if you come to John chapter 1 and you see, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You can begin to think about that. Who is this Word? What does it mean for Jesus to be the Word? And you read on as the verses go on and you begin to see as it explains this Word. And how important is it that the Word came for me and that Jesus came for me and that He is the living Word? That's the basis of our praise. That gives us joy when we're reflecting on Jesus. That helps us to be filled with grace, filled with His love, filled with His perspective as we're going forward. That's the fuel that we've got to have. And so in closing, I just want to reiterate what I've said time and time again today. That the Christian life and the life of the church is not a list of do's and don'ts and shoulds and should nots, but it begins with our relationship with Jesus. And then out of the overflow of that relationship, we love each other, we serve each other. In other words, it's the vertical relationship with God that then spills out horizontally to ourselves and to everybody else around us. That's the intention that Jesus has for His church. And my prayer is that through Jubilee and and through our personal time in God's Word and in growing in Him, that we can come closer and closer and closer to Jesus and closer and closer together as a church family and be the church that Jesus wants us to be and to be that kind of a lighthouse on this hill to where we're seeing and expecting people to be saved and lives to be changed on a regular basis. We're expecting God to work in a mighty way uh, through the ministries of our church and God to bless in an abundant way into our families and into our lives and into the places that we go and for God to answer the prayers that we're praying to Him. And that's my prayer for us as a church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word. I'm so grateful that You are the Word. As I'm thinking about John 1.1 that we just read. And God, I'm thankful for this picture of the early church and how the vibrant relationship that they had with Jesus Christ spilled over into their neighborhoods, into the communities around them, uh, to where many, many other people saw this joyful, loving, forgiving, growing, vibrant community and said, I want that. The Jewish people all around them had certain times that was prescribed for prayer. But here was this group of people that were praying at all hours of the day and night, enjoying each other, fellowshipping together. They actually liked being around each other. And seeing that drew them closer and closer and closer to investigate What is all this about? And then many, many, many were saved and turned to Jesus Christ in faith. Lord, I I pray that our church would become and You would help us to continue to become that kind of a vibrant, life-giving, preaching of the Gospel center here on this hill because there are so many all around us right here in Bristol that do not know the truth of Jesus Christ and have not heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that You would help us to be a lighthouse into our community, showing forth the truth of Jesus into this generation that we live in. You have called us to be here for such a time as this. Uh, We are not here at this time in human history on accident, but You have put us here, right here, right now, on purpose, 
Uh, and Lord, I pray that we would draw close to Jesus. Uh, and I pray for those who may not know You as Savior. I pray that You would speak to their hearts. Reveal that to their hearts. Help them to receive You as their Savior today. And secondly, Lord, I pray for those of us who are believers. We are part of this church. And yet, Lord, we see drifting in our hearts. We've drifted away from Jesus. That vibrancy that used to be in our relationship with Jesus is not there. We've allowed the cares and the concerns of this life to become that stony ground in our heart that have caused us to drift away from that closeness with Jesus. I think about the hymn that says, Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That is our sinful heart, Lord. It is prone to drift away. To prioritize other things over and above our relationship with Jesus. And God, forgive us of that. Let today not be a day where we just ask You to forgive us and to cleanse us from that. Not just a day of repentance, but also a day where we take the next step and say, Lord, I want to grow in my relationship with You. I want to be in Your Word. Lord, call us back to Yourself. Bring us back to You in great ways as You know that each one of us may need. I know the Holy Spirit can speak specifically to every single one of our hearts for the area that we need to get right with You. And I pray that He would have liberty to do so. In Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. I'll turn the service back over.